Welcome back to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Belay, your host, and I'm super thrilled to bring you stories, inspiration, strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and be part of a movement to change the world. I am on a mission to help entrepreneurs and leaders to become leading voices in their field by leveraging what makes them unique to attract their ideal customers and make a bigger impact in their world. So, I want you to experience success in your business and also live your best life now. I am so excited to share with you today's episode 48 and a special episode that is ending the year 2019. When I started this podcast at the beginning of the year, it was just a dream. But today, closing this podcast, With the 48th episode, I have learned a lot from my guest. And I hope that you have also enjoyed this journey with me. Uh, If so, I'll love you to leave me a review and share it with your friends. And I'm preparing a brand new format in 2020. I am sure you're going to love that as well. So do not hesitate to leave me also your suggestions and, you know, what you'd like me to discuss on this podcast. This is your podcast. So, you know, all your suggestions are welcome. So in advance, I'm going to wish you a prosperous 2020. Um, And then I will bring you next week key highlight of my 2019 what I've learned in these episodes um, throughout the year and really key insight that I had. And that is going to also help you to move forward in the next year. So for now, I'm just going to leave you with one of the most inspiring interviews that I had on this podcast and with uh, more hack with choosing to stay. Just let's dive in. Well, today I have the great pleasure to welcome Mo Hack, a keynote speaker, author of Choosing to Stay. Mo actually needed to raise money for his cancer treatment after the NHS refused to pay for a breakthrough drug. So he actually, um, you know, this um, event actually brought him to actually crowdfunded over 186,000 pounds to access the potentially life-saving drug and has seen his tumor reduced by over 50%. So he now shares his stories of hope, love, and gratitude. Mo, thank you for being part of the guest of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. No, it's an absolute honor and pleasure to be part of the conversation. Thank you for inviting Um, me on. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on this show. And uh, it's really a great pleasure to have you. Tell us in your own words what you currently do. So your introduction, um, I'm a keynote speaker. Um, I'm an author. And I talk about 
people stepping into their power. So I've had five years of cancer and a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and it allowed me to go inside and develop parts of me that I didn't really know existed. And so now I go out and share those lessons. Aside from that, I'm also a cancer patient advocate where I help charities and other organizations in the field. I'm on a number of advisory groups and boards. And I have patients who connect with me on a daily basis, asking for support and guidance. And, and I also you know, help people wherever I can. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So if I was a small fly and I follow you from the day you wake up and up to at night, what would I see? What a day life for if you look like? Um, that's a great question because, you know, I've been thinking about this. Pre- previously, my, my life was waking up, getting ready for work, nine to five, working after those hours and fitting in gym and family, friends in between. And then when the cancer came along, it was primarily just home and hospital. And I had to develop new routines to, mm. to fill up the space. And now five years on, um, my latest update from the hospital was no evidence of disease, mm. which is incredible from where I am to where I was to where I am now. Mm. And so it's been about restarting my life again. And, and it always starts with a morning routine. So I'll find myself a quiet space and I'll meditate or just be grateful and journal and kind of like set up my intention for the day. Like, what is it I'm going to do today? Because I still take one day at a time. Of course. And then once I start my grounding routine, it will then be about, okay, let's focus on my speaker business. What am I going to do today? So it might be getting in touch with potential clients. It might be putting together ideas for a new talk. It might be working on my website. And once I do a bit of that, I then make sure I go to the gym, um, active mm. and, you know, just lucky to be alive and mm. you know, working out my muscles. Mm. And then, you know, as I mentioned, a number of contribution led work. So charities and patients and, you know, I'll respond or reply or do work according to those. And then my nephews, I spend time with them and my family and, you know, friends. So yeah, it's, you know, compartmentalize, no day is the same, but kind of make sure that those elements are all scheduled in. And, you know, I mentioned the gym, but also self-care. That's Mm. a huge part of my routine. Mm, Yeah. Do you have any um, kind of diet, special diet also that you follow? Um, At the moment, no. Um, When I got diagnosed, I was very much just eat as cleanly and um, healthily as possible but then it got to a point where I was doing everything I possibly can you know I went almost near vegan like in terms of my health my mm-hmm. diet yeah. but the cancer kept growing and then I remember just saying look if I'm gonna die I'm gonna at least enjoy my food mm-hmm. and I had a piece of carrot cake that day and I've not looked back since and so <laughs> Um, I avoid certain foods like meat, um, yeah. but other than that, um, a healthy, balanced diet, no real restrictions. I don't drink, I don't smoke, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, that, uh, that's really inspiring. So uh, which job actually did you want to do when you were kids? Oh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a sports person. So whether it was football or mm. sprinting, I was a really fast runner. Um, uh-huh. So I remember wanting to be around sports, but then there was also a phase where I wanted to be a newsreader. So I remember, you know, sitting and reading the nine o'clock news to my uncle. <laughs> um, and then other times I wanted to be a banker, you know, I thought I'd make lots of money like that. But <laughs> yeah, but, but I kind of grew out of those, well, sport, I was never at the elite level that was required. And so that dream kind of like quickly went away, but mm-hmm. I still participate in sport wherever I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, uh, we we've uh, mentioned earlier that you have actually managed to raise, um, you know, hundred and eighty six thousand, or is it? I don't know. You know, that's what's the latest figures I've, I've seen. Uh, I, I'd like to actually delve a little bit into this um, to tell us the story. How on earth you have managed to fundraise that amount of money, and how? how this idea came from and, you know, go back to the time and, you know, tell me how this happened and how you've managed to raise that much money. Yeah. So I got diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer and that was December, 2014. And I was on chemotherapy immediately. I had 18 cycles of chemo. I had a major operation. I had side effects, which were horrible. I had a blood clot in my lungs and A year later, in December 2015, the oncologist said, the cancer's growing, the chemo's not working, there's nothing else we can do for you. My cancer was terminal. Um, My mindset is one of asking questions. And I was probably the calmest person in the hospital that day. And I asked about what's new out there? What, What are these breakthrough drugs available? And my oncologist said, I have this genetic condition And there's a drug called immunotherapy, which really works well with my genetics. But the only problem was it's not on the NHS. So although I was terminal, there was still some hope. When I asked how much this drug costs, he said I needed to be a millionaire. (laughs) But but he said he was going to put in an application to the NHS. He was going to forward me to a research institute to try and get me on a clinical trial. So there was still hope. So Mm. I began 2016 with hope. Mm. But then a few months later, the trials were really difficult to get onto because you need to meet certain conditions. And I didn't meet those. Mm. The NHS came back and said, no, we applied to the drug companies for compassionate use. And they too said, no, they were like, it's on the market. If you want it, you pay for it. And I literally tried everything. I got in touch with doctors in America, in India. One of my friends was going to open up dialogue with the Israeli embassy. Like mm. we, you name it, we tried it. And then one of my friends said, let's, let's start a fundraising campaign. Mm. His words were, even if we raise 5,000, we'll be doing something. Mm-hmm. But it was the last thing I wanted to do. Mm. Um, the idea of going out there and you know, begging for my life mm. isn't something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then I sought for spiritual advice um, from an imam and he said, he asked me about the drug and 
he asked what the doctors were saying and he said, you have a duty to seek treatment. And in, in that duty, I was doing everything in terms of looking abroad. I was exploring diet options at the time. Mm. But then fundraising became the only option. But in order to go out there to fundraise, I had to answer some internal questions. Am yeah. I worthy? Mm. Am I deserving? And I remember going to sleep crying, asking these questions. Mm. Now I'm lucky with the people in my life. I've got a lot of net my my network is full of people from backgrounds in psychology and mindset and you know I who who work on emotions and I got in touch with a number of them and I mm-hmm. kind of worked through those questions mm-hmm. and I said yes I am worthy I am deserving and I went back to my friend and said let's fundraise mm-hmm. and then it was just you know my friends who I've known since I was a kid you know like I mentioned earlier I wanted mm-hmm. to be a sports person I would mm-hmm. spend my hours in Regent's Park playing football with these boys mm-hmm. and now I'm in in the in a room with them and we're like you need to raise 200,000 pounds and it was kind of like an elephant in the room where mm. It's like, how are we going to do this? We're just a bunch of boys, you know, grew up (laughs) in central London um, Mm -hmm. in a city estate, basically. But in my mind, there were like two extremes. We're going to raise nowhere near the amount we need or a wealthy individual will come in and here's the money. Like those were like the two extremes. Yes. But then what happened in just completely blows my mind I began with a just giving page mm-hmm. I still remember that Wednesday morning where I said up upload post or whatever the page was mm-hmm. and yeah people started donating I think there was a shock factor from a number of my friends mm. and people in my network they didn't weren't expecting it there were a handful of people who knew mm. and so as soon as I went live with the campaign they started circulating it and I was being invited to speak at mosques, at personal development events, at community events, community festivals. And I basically pitched for my life. Mm. And we oh. raised the we raised the money. I had the drug and it did what the doctors said it most likely would do, what the research papers suggested would do and and the tumors reduced, they stabilized. I had a year of the medication. I'm off the medication now for over two years and the mm-hmm. scans, I get scans every three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been really, really good results and I'm just very, very grateful. Mm. And so many stories yeah. um, in between that in terms of the people who supported me, people who I know, people who I don't know, yeah. Um, what would you say was your great lesson your greatest lesson during this crowdfunding campaign um, that humanity says yes um, so where everyone said no in terms of the NHS the drug companies the government we you know we wrote to the Department of Health everyone said no but people people said yes and there's so much love out there um, in the most unexpected places and so 
um, my local pharmacy, they held a collection for me. So, you know, I became a regular in my pharmacy, you know, with cancer and mm-hmm. all the medication. I you just would go in for a chat to just give them an update and they'd mm. be like, Mo, you won't believe what happened. So they ran a collection for me. There was a homeless woman who went in and I think she either wanted like painkillers or money for a cup of tea, but she read my story on the counter and then put her hands in her pockets and no. left a few coins on the desk. My pharmacist pushed those coins towards her and said, no, you keep that. I mm. will put that in but, for you. Yeah. But the woman said, no, it has to be my coins. No. I want to be part of the campaign. Oh. And I have no idea who this person is. I would have judged her to have nothing, mm. but she gave literally everything mm. she had that day for me. Wow. And I'm hearing this story and I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, and so there's someone who I would predict or assume has nothing. Yes. And then thousands of miles away, one morning I wake up to a message on Facebook saying, Mo, you don't know me. You mm. don't know me and my girlfriend. But we are friends of friends of friends. You know, like the six degrees mm-hmm. of separation. Mm-hmm. They found my story and decided to do a cycle trek. Alex and Stephanie, mm. they decided to do a cycle trek from the south of New Zealand mm. to the very north over a 50-day period. And they're not cyclists. Mm. And they raised almost 5,000 pounds in the process. Complete strangers mm. who are now my friends. You know, I've, you know, they're back in London and I've mm. met up with them a few times. And so like two extremes yes you know young a young couple who are healthy and dynamic and are traveling the world raising money for me and then there's someone who has nothing and so you know going back to your question the greatest Mm. lesson Mm. is that there is so much love out there Mm. if we're willing to be vulnerable if Mm. we're willing to you know put ourselves out there and be seen and kind of in our you know a friend once said in our moments of darkness we shine the brightest and yeah you know and and now i can look back and share those stories on stages across you know the world um i've been invited to go to america in a couple Mm. of days and so i'll be traveling for that Mm. you know um Mm. to share these stories and Mm. you know what's possible Mm, 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 mm. yeah so this is really really, um you know a moving moving testimony as you say about you know the humanity you know humanity says yes when everybody else say no um you know so that is really beautiful to see the power that is out there you know regular people including that homeless woman she really also wanted to be part of it yeah. even with a few coin that she has she Absolutely. really wants to be part of it that's so beautiful actually yeah. and you know we give faith in humanity and um, that yeah you know when people say always negative things you know that might also be happening but the, the positive the reality is that there is so much positive also out there yeah I mean, we're bombarded every day with hate on the news. Mm. You know, you scroll mm. through Twitter and you yes. see people being trolled. And mm. Yeah, equally, there are mm. all these other yes. Yes. stories of, yes. of love. Mm, 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 mm. That's so beautiful. So um, tell me, is there 
a particular moment, I suppose that that might be linked to when you were mm-hmm. diagnosed. How old were you when you were diagnosed again? I was 31. Just 31. That, that's back in 2014, right? Yeah, it was five nine, years ago. Yeah, nine days before I turned 32. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm 36 right now. Yeah. So back then, is would you say that this is when you realize who you are or that was down the line because of something perhaps that you have realized or perhaps would you say that you haven't yet realized who you are yes. and what you're meant to do in life? What would you it's say? A, <laughs> it's, a great, it's, a, it's a great question because the moment I got diagnosed, I had mm. two questions. Mm. Um, one of those questions was, will I choose to stay? Mm. And that was based on a, a previous lecture I went to by Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name. Yeah. She's a spiritual teacher. And okay. this was in 20, 2012. American speaker, author. She came How to... How do you spell her name? Gabrielle Bernstein. If Bernstein. you put Gabby, Gabby, Gabby B. Okay. And then you'll find Bernstein. her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in London 2012 to give a speech. And I went to to that talk and at the end of the talk someone in the audience asked a question why their mother had died they went to see a spiritual healer Mm -hmm. who was well known and why didn't it work and Gabrielle's question was did your mum want to leave (sighs) and the daughter instantly said yes and so when I got diagnosed for some reason I remembered I had a flashback and so my question was will I choose to stay Mm. So that was driver number one. And then the second question that I had was, what does this mean? I read a book once called Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, by Vic, by Victor Frankl. Yeah, that's and powerful. So, <laughs> I know that story. one. Yes. And so this became kind of like my death sentence because the, the diagnosis was brutal. It was stage four. Um, yeah. And so what does this mean? And coupled with that question, there was a Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yes. And so I thought, you know, my days are numbered. I mm. want to make my life worth living. And that mm. be- began an exploration of what my life is about, what it means. And, and I, had, I have a wonderful person in my life called Dr. Kim Jobst, mm-hmm. who I worked with to explore both of those questions and and so it was through that work where I dived in and I looked back into my childhood I looked back into generational Mm. conversations that had gone myths in the family and to real really get a connection with who I am you know my dad died when I was a baby Mm. and so you know he died of bowel cancer so through my experience I got closer to him in terms of you know he might have been exploring or experiencing these pains and feelings and so yeah through through doing the deep inner work I really got a feel for Mm. who I am and what my life is going to be about and you know there's no guarantees as to you know how long each of us have and what what the cancer has done is you know given me perspective Mm. you know every night when my head hits the pillow you know I'm mindful that I might not wake up Mm. the next morning Mm -hmm. so you know when I do wake up you know I'm thankful I'm grateful Mm. I have another day and 
And so, you know, taking each day as it comes, mm. knowing that I've been given life, I've been given these skills, I've been given this network, I've been given a, a story now. And with that story, you know, I'm talking in cliches, you know, with great power comes great responsibility is what mm. Spider-Man says. Mm, mm. And so, you know, with my story, there is a responsibility. Yes. I have, you know, people in the cancer community with the same genetics who who are hopeful that they will have access to this drug. And so, mm, mm. you know, I do work on the policy side of things, working mm. with Bowel Cancer UK and Lynch Syndrome UK to kind of, you know, why can't other people get access to this drug? And I'm mm. continually, you know, working behind the scenes on those kind of works. And so, you know, the, the, it was crucial at diagnosis to ask those two questions to then kind of shape the rest of, you know, my time. Mm. Um, mm. And I'm continually mm. choosing, you know, my book is called Choosing to Stay. To Stay. And, I'm, you know, choosing every day. And, and it's one of the messages in, in my keynote talks, regardless of what situation you find yourself in that cancer is an extreme not everyone will you know i don't want anyone you know to be diagnosed with it but the reality is people will be but whatever the challenge is you know from you know losing a job to to i don't know a health situation or a money situation there are always choices yes and and you can choose your approach. You can choose the questions you ask and you can choose the action you either take or you don't take. As long as you're conscious of those, you, you will find power. You know, mm. and one of the worst things is, is to lose that sense of choice, you know, mm. being, being confined to this is what's going to happen to you. And even in my darkest moments, mm -hmm. I could choose my approach. Of course, I, could, I yes. could choose to take on my challenge with with a certain attitude, and 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 you know there are still times where I get annoyed and angry mm. and mm -hmm. almost almost daily I'm assuming, mm -hmm. and you know sometimes it's as trivial as the football. I've had <laughs> nightmares over over my team losing a game. Six <laughs> months later, I'll mm. still have the same nightmare, mm. but it's acknowledging, yeah, I'm upset. And so I'll choose to be real about it as opposed to, to pretending it's not there and brushing up the, washing away the emotion because that emotion will stay trapped. Mm. And so, yeah. Yeah, this is so beautiful, Mo. I can't believe, you know, begin to tell you how powerful what you're saying is. You are a real testimony of what I also say which is that we can always choose our approach. The event itself is not what matter, is our reaction to what is happening and how we choose to approach that. And, you know, back in 2014, when you have been diagnosed, you could have said, well, my love is over and then that is it. Or as you did, you know, choose to stay and find solutions, find ways. And here you are five years later talking to me and being an inspiration to everybody else out there 
that they can make something happen. You have to be creative. You have to be out there. You have to, you know, get whatever you can actually. And this is really, really powerful actually. And I really thank you for, you know, sharing this testimony because, you know, on this podcast, this is what I always explore is about meaningful life. What Mm. meaningful lives mean is again, you demonstrating what it is. And when you say that, when you put your, your bed, your head to the bed at night, not waking, not thinking that you were going to wake up. We all have to think that way. Nobody knows when they wake up, you know, when they put their head on the bed, when are they going to wake up? But you have that great perspective of making sure that you are really mindful in everything that you are doing and take it one by day, which actually we should all live that way, right? You know, and uh, it's really, really powerful, actually, what you share. And uh, really thank you about that. Um, so, um, you know, what would you say, you know, you have struggled the most in life? Would you say is, you know, since you have been diagnosed, what would you say is, you know, the, the, the struggle that you have struggled the most with in life? I think there was a moment where the trajectory was was looking really bad. There was no treatment and the cancer was growing. Mm. And I got into a depressive state mm. where I didn't shower or change my clothes for days, which probably felt like weeks. I canceled appointments with friends. Um, I said no to meeting up with people. And I was just watching idle TV just planted to my chair. And family would come to visit. And, you know, some people would, you know, put their hands on my head and, you know, like out of sympathy or respect mm. or their way of wanting to, you know, offer me support. Mm. And I was in no mood to see anyone or talk to anyone. Mm. And so emotionally and spiritually and mentally it was probably the lowest place I was Mm. but then I looked at my appointments there was a notification that popped up and it said Roberta and Roberta lives in Brazil and she was over in London and we worked together um, for a year when we were at uni Mm. so some 10 years earlier and I could probably count on my hands the number of times I've seen Roberta since. Mm. And there was a little voice in my head that says, you can't cancel on Roberta. You may never see her again. Mm. And so with that thought, I had a shower, I got changed and I went out and I said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to at least enjoy my food, Mm -hmm. which I shared earlier. And it was while I was meeting Roberta, I had that piece of carrot cake. Mm. that out of the blue unexpected David joined Mm. us Mm. and David also worked with us for that year and he was living in Dubai Mm -hmm. and the times that all three of us were together in a 10-year period after was probably twice Mm -hmm. and so it just blew my mind in terms of wow they arranged this Mm -hmm. meetup and I think that was the turning point in terms of I felt as low as I felt. And then here are two people that, you know, who I love and who, who, who are here and I'm enjoying this moment. And I think I didn't look back after that. And so 
the hardest decision was probably saying yes to fundraise. Mm. But I got to that space of yes because of these, you know, circumstances, because of my friends who were connecting with me, because of my family, you know, saying, you know, we're going to rally around you, whatever you choose. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the pre-fundraising mm. moment was probably the most challenging. Mm-hmm. And then once I came out to fundraise, we rode that wave in terms of different people said, come and speak at this event or come to us. And, and I would, you know, there were days where I was in pain, like back pain or neck pain. But then the question was, if I turn up, if I show up to this, will it, will it bring me closer to my goal, mm. which was to raise the money? And mm-hmm. by raising the money, will it keep me closer to staying alive? And so, mm. you know, those were the questions you know, that drove me to, you know, turning up, to turn up, yeah. to show wow. up, to be mm. present. Mm-hmm. What was bothering you the most in terms of saying yes to crowdfunding when you say that, you, you know, it was not something you wanted to do. Is this something that was yes. bothering you the most? I think if we, if we drill it down, asking for help is hard. Mm-hmm. Asking for money is even harder. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, learning to ask for help has been, was huge in terms of, I've always seen myself as being independent. Mm. And so the moment I get diagnosed, I can't sometimes do my own laundry. Mm. You know, sometimes I can't change my clothes. Sometimes I can't shower properly because of the physical drain it was having. Mm. I can't go out on my own because it wasn't safe. You know, mm-hmm. I might get dizzy spells. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden from being independent from a very young age mm-hmm. to now relying on other people to, mm-hmm. you know, to do my own, like mm-hmm. the vacuum, like I wouldn't dream of asking anyone to do stuff like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. tying my laces. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn to ask for help, but then mm-hmm. asking for money that, mm-hmm. You know, you, you you read about it in business books or business mm. seminars, mm. make the sale. You know, you mm. need to ask mm. for the sale and mm. people find that really challenging mm. to, you know, make a presentation, but then leave out. Mm. Let's, where do we sign? Like, mm. and so this isn't even asking for a sale. This is mm. asking for money. Mm. And so I think the challenge, so drilling it down is, it's, you know, it's that asking yeah um, and the moment i said yes i'm worthy it just took away those questions of yes. can i ask okay. for help and so it wasn't always about money it was about can you can you refer me to can do you have contacts in the media or do you have contacts in different organizations and can you share this for me or can mm. you look at this piece of text or do you have any advice for copywriting or whatever the ask was? It was just learning to ask, mm-hmm. um, which respectfully and, and allowing the answer to be no, because, mm. you know, some people didn't reply. And mm-hmm. so I'd revisit and, hey, you might have missed this because how many messages do I forget? Mm-hmm. So and then people would reply and others would, you know, say won't come back. And it was perfectly fine as long as I asked the question. Mm. It was out of my system. And some of the questions I asked were, I look back and I think, 
that, it was ridiculous. So <laughs> there were some people when I was going to meetings, they were like, oh, do you have any letters from your doctor mm. supporting what you're saying? <laughs> Which is a totally mm, valid. Of you know, course, if, yes. If you, because some a, people can just, yes, um, yeah, just make up stuff. Yeah. Mm. Especially if you're going to a non, non, not-for-profit organization, they mm. need to do their checks and balances. Of course, yeah. And so I emailed my nurse saying, I need a letter from professor mm. saying X, Y, Z. And I want it tomorrow. Can I pick it up from clinic? Mm. And I said, I know this is audacious, mm. but I'm going to ask anyway. Of course. 30 minutes later, she replied back saying, he said yes. Oh, wow. And 24 hours, within 24 hours, I'm at the clinic and she's handing me two copies of the letter. Wow. I read out the letter and it was, be it was better than I could have imagined in terms mm. of what he wrote. And so, you know, like previously the ego or the pride mm. would, would, you know, would project and would stop me from making those yes. requests. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You, you point, you, you went down the rabbit hole to really pick, pinpoint what is, uh, you know, what's the uh, root cause of you and, um, you know, being uh, so reluctant about crowdfunding is our, our ego. Pride our ego, ego. Uh, yes pride and ego and then we can die because we are pride and we have our ego but you chose mm. again to stay and put those things aside and this is really really a beautiful um actually um things that you did um can you actually tell me when you look back at your childhood how would you say that has prepared you to be who you are today and being able to fight that way yeah so I mentioned earlier that my dad died when I was two. Um, was it the same cancer he had? Yeah. What? Okay. He had, he had bowel cancer. Okay. Mm. Um, and he would have been in his forties at the time. Mm. Um, so losing my dad young, you know, definitely had an impact on me in terms mm. of, you know, I, I had a fear in me in terms of yeah, losing of my mum. Mm. When I was five, I went to Bangladesh because my grandma was dying. Mm. She was ill. And she subsequently died after we returned back. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I'm five years of age, I've seen my dad die mm -hmm. and I've seen my grandma die. Yes. But while in Bangladesh, I, I saw poverty mm -hmm. firsthand. Of course. I still remember coming out of Dhaka Airport mm. and there were street kids who were touching me and I remember screaming. <laughs> and... I was kind of like a spoiled brat from London mm -hmm. and I saw poverty firsthand and those memories stayed with me. Mm -hmm. And so even though I grew up in, you know, a council estate and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money compared mm -hmm. to, you know, some of the more wealthier mm -hmm. people around, I always had a sense of perspective in terms mm -hmm. of, I remember seeing poverty firsthand mm -hmm. and always knowing that I was lucky with whatever I had over here. Mm -hmm. So those early experiences kind of taught me compassion mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, the world isn't fair and I have a part to play in making it fair. And so I, I, I go back into those early experiences that kind of shaped me in terms of, of wanting to make positive, meaningful change. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, really beautiful. And uh, as you say, you know, give you perspective on um, what actually to do. Now let's talk about money briefly. So the question I always ask if people to people is that, how can we do both what we love and get paid for it? Some people have, you know, passion for what they love to do, but don't get paid for it. And at the time, you know, you don't have passion so much for what you're doing, but, you know, you get tons of money. What's your perspective on this? I think it depends on where in your life or career or stage you're at. So, I've worked with a lot of young people in my career, Mm. you know, college students, university students, and who all have a passion, desire to make the world a better place. Mm. And, you know, they're making their start in their lives. And then there are others who are a lot older, who have made money and can, you know, look at um, meaningful impact passion projects from a different perspective. And then there are those who are in the middle of careers who want to make those impacts, if you like. And so mm. I feel you start where you are. Mm. So you need to earn a living. Um, but what can you do from the place you're in to start making a change? Mm-hmm. And so a year ago, I was struggling to move. I had a lot of joint pain, arthritis, and so, but I had time. And so then I got involved in my local residence association, so in my community. Mm-hmm. And so it meant turning up to meetings, it meant turning up and talking to my neighbors about challenges they're facing and then representing them through the meeting. So that was me doing what I can do <laughs> to mm-hmm. give back in a small I say small scale Mm -hmm. in terms of what physically and emotionally I could do and a year on I look back and I think wow now I'm being asked to go to America Mm -hmm. to give a talk Mm. and so Mm. so it's a great question in terms of you need to 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 work to to make a living but then in whatever time you have, whether it's at work, they offer an hour to volunteer or whether it's outside an hour a week, you know, pick up the phone and speak to someone who you've not spoken to. That could be your meaningful work. And then Mm. once you start doing those little bits and pieces, make it an intention Mm. to, to grow bigger and bigger. And the more you focus your efforts on that, you know, those opportunities will come and just like, it's mindset you know it's am i worthy am i deserving yeah because there is so much abundance out there the moment i said yes i am it allowed me to open up to the possibilities of inviting that into my life and it's the same with doing work that we're passionate about it's it's opening up to the possibilities but it's starting somewhere however small that may seem it's you going out there and making a statement to the universe that, yeah, this means something to me and this is what I'm going to do. I think it was Stephen Covey who spoke about the circle of influence mm-hmm. and the circle of concern. Now, usually we have a huge circle of concern, you know, the environment, mm-hmm. the political system, poverty, 
you know, those concerns are huge, but we might have zero influence in any of those. Mm -hmm. But what can we do to start getting influence? So it might be joining a community organization. It might be volunteering. And then, and then it's setting that intention. And what you start today, 10 years from now, will, will, crescendo is that the right word yeah exactly um, so, so that's so beautiful yeah being mindful you know we've been given what we've been given and sometimes we want things instantaneously mm-hmm. and it's the society that has been created we want to book amazon prime it you know we want food uber eats uber eat it like mm-hmm. you know like we're so used to this and so when it comes to passionate meaningful work we have to earn the right we we need to you know we need to learn we need to learn the trade we need to get involved in dialogue and discussion and turning up and yeah and i genuinely believe we can then start you know making an uh a living from from that yeah from that space but it's it's not quitting your I, I don't believe in quitting your work and then following a, a project like that if you've not got the funds to sustain yourself it's 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 building mm. building to that so it's learning about financial literacy and saving and, and all of that that is all part of the process and you know we're getting onto the education system here which mm-hmm. which is something that doesn't teach us those skills and yeah. so the work that you're doing in terms of, you know, the podcasts and some of the work in, you know, the technology literacy and the digital learning mm-hmm. that you, you talk about mm. is so important because it's not, it's not accessible always. Um, yeah, no, that's so beautiful. You, you, you made your point uh, very, very clear and very uh, articulate that. So now let's talk about building a movement. So which movement are you leading or would like to lead or be part of? Great, great question. There are, there are a lot of movements I'd like, I'd like to be a part of. I think the past five years I've been thrown into the patient empowerment movement. Mm-hmm. where or the patient advocacy model where the health system has kind of trained us to be passive recipients mm. of the system doctor knows best yes now i'm not disputing i, I have the utmost respect for my medical team mm-hmm. and i have so much respect for people who has dedicated their lives to learning that trade mm-hmm. but we're moving into a place where patients need to be more responsible Mm -hmm. to ask questions to monitor like and I feel that is a movement that is growing and growing Mm. and and digital the digital environment allows each patient to be connected with someone in another part of the world to learn about their condition and their treatment more than ever before so I am a player in that movement Mm. another movement is equality diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. and i'm focusing on a millennial audience Mm -hmm. millennials who are underrepresented and to to make the world a a more fairer and equal i'm an idealist and a romanticist (laughs) at the same time in terms of i want to make the world a better place and i don't think anyone should lose like i feel we're we're born curious creatures Mm -hmm. and then at a phase in point in life we can either lose that or we could either accelerate that 
And so I'd love for more and more people to be connected to their curiosity, that inbuilt desire to learn and grow. And yeah, the movement for me at the moment is in millennials because I, I believe we're, you know, it's a huge term. This is a, there's a 20 year period between those born in the 80s mm-hmm. and the late 90s. But the challenge is, I'm, I'm, I'm an older millennial. <laughs> the challenges we face are, are different. And yes. yeah, so I want us to kind of be more connected to who we are. Is, you know, the question that you asked earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, what was the moment in time? Do you know who you are or are you still... I'm still love, looking for that. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for more mm. people to be connected mm-hmm. to who they are, yeah. to then allow them to start living. You know, there's a there's a great line: "Know thyself, be thyself, love thyself." And, mm. and I yeah. think the more people know who they are, then that gives them permission to be yeah. who they are. Yeah, yeah. So I great. I love that. So I have um, uh, a question, but I think that I might know the right answer. Uh, but I'm asking anyway. So if your life was a film or a book, which title will it be? Oh, so I've already got the book, um, <laughs> which is I've got a copy here. Yeah, um, I'm on the front cover. It's called Choosing to Stay. So, so this this could be part one of part one of the the movie i think the second book or movie would call be called humanity said yes oh wow i love that so so the first book is about my life and Mm -hmm. my experience and the second book is about telling the stories of i think that you might have quite a lot of story of this generosity of people who came out especially that homeless woman really who also want to be part of it it's not about yeah. how much it's about just being part of it yeah that energy <laughs> that comes with that right and mm. i think that energy energy is powerful so yeah yeah yes. so finally what is your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life i think it comes down to knowing who you are and being who you are and so taking the time to really explore yourself you know go back and you know what happened as a child what happened as an adolescent what happened as a young adult and then being an older adult and whatever phase of your life is you can never stop doing the work so so yeah meaning is so powerful and if we could take time out to explore meaning then that allows for life to be meaningful. Mm. And so, yeah, it's knowing yourself to then being yourself. And then the third component is loving yourself. So Mm, actually self-care, actually, Mm. you know, saying, no, my body craves, deserves rest and relaxation. So much time is spent in fight or flight from daily instances where someone might cut you up on on the bus or you know on the road Mm. but how much time is spent the opposite rest and relaxation Mm. which are both two systems which are so important fight and flight is needed right if we're in danger we need to do something at the same time so self-love is so important so Yeah, I'll just, I'll be repeating myself if I carry on. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. Be yourself, 
know yourself be yourself love yourself i love that oh wow that's good um so now any last piece of guidance that you want to share with our listeners to live a meaningful life and do meaningful work i think i just say that once someone shared with me recently during my cancer the following affirmation i am enough i do enough my presence is enough Mm. and i think those are the if i was to go back and tell a younger version of myself any advice it will be those three statements i am enough i do enough my presence is enough i am enough i do enough my presence is enough i love that too um so can you share any resources that listeners should know about when uh it comes to you know living a meaningful life um i'll share my my tedx talk yeah yeah it's called Uh, it's called it's called choosing to stay i'll link that in the show notes yeah Mm -hmm. my my book um is called choosing to stay and it's in two parts the first part I share the choices I made mm. and I tell my story. And the second part, the nine biggest lessons I learned and there are exercises in there. And mm. I believe you do the, do the work, answer the questions, you will find meaning. And so those are two I will share. And mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how people can get in touch with you if they want to get more, um, to know more about you and your work? Yeah, so you can find me on my website, mohack.com. So M-O-H-A-Q-U-E.com. You can email me through the site or mo at mohack.com. And Instagram, Mr. Mohack is my handle. That's my handle. Um, Yeah. So um, that's me. That's super. Thank you very much, Mo. It was a great honor and pleasure to have you on this podcast and to share really your wisdom with our listeners. No, it's been, it's been a great conversation and I'm just uh, a privilege always to share. So thank you for having me, Frenzy. Okay, see you next time. Yep. <laughs> What are you committed to do today to do more meaningful work and live a meaningful life? The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelli.com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared on this show. Whilst you are there, leave me a message to tell me in the comments what was your key takeaway from this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me and will also help me to spread this word and being found online. So thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. Next week, we will be in 2020. So I wish you again in advance a prosperous and happy new year. And I will bring you the key highlights of the 2019 and an 
I will tell you also about the new format that I'm preparing for 2020. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that you're going to love it. So until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.